We are now in the um, fifth week out of six in a series entitled Change. And a subtitle to that would be Real Truths About Real Spiritual Change. We're looking at what it is that Jesus shares in his word about real spiritual change. We started off in week nine looking at truth out of excuse me, week one, looking at truth out of Luke 9, about the encounters that Jesus had and and people that were saying, I want to follow you. And Jesus talks about the real truth of cost. That's great that you want to follow me, but this is what you need to know. You need to know that it's going to cost you comfort, convenience. You're going to have to make tough choices. And you're going to need to be committed. Are you willing to do that? He speaks truth about that. And he speaks truth not only to them, but to us. Week two, we looked at truth out of Malachi 3 about the need for help. I, I would hope that we would all understand that. There's going to be real spiritual change. We have to have the help of God, his, his presence, his spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. And he gives an incredible promise in Malachi 3, verse 10, about that, that he is our God. He's there to help. And whatever it is that we're willing to do and give to him, he will help us and bless us in abundance. That's the God that he is third week, we looked at truth about real anxiety, Philippians 4. God recognized it as a truism in our life and in our hearts. We have worries, we have fears, we have anxiety, but then he speaks about truth in terms of his presence, that it brings joy and that it brings calmness and that it brings peace. An incredible peace, peace that passes understanding. And I think about that, and I think about our lives and how we live, and when we let those things control us, and yet God's presence fills us up, and then there's no room for that and pushes it out. Incredible promise and truth. And last week we looked at truth out of Matthew 9 that real change creates new opportunities. new opportunities that we need to be alert of, we need to be alert to, that we need to seize and grasp and not waste, just like new wineskins rather than old wineskins, letting it all spill out on the ground and be spoiled and wasted. No, he wants us to seize the day, to be alert to and not waste new opportunities. Today, we're going to continue looking at the G of change, goals. And it's out of teaching and truth about prayer, Luke 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 13. Really look at what it is that Jesus teaches us to look at what he's saying about truth and real spiritual change and the challenge that he gives. And I, and I want to communicate and just say this, that every passage is so full. But if we can understand and grasp this, it just, it change not only our prayer life, it will change how we walk and who we are from day to day. This is a power-packed, truth-filled passage, so please give it your attention. Listen to God and open up your hearts. Hear 
the word of the Lord. Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you the truth. He will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, but yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God. Let it be written on your hearts and lived in your lives. Hmm. So are you ready for all of that? It's just maybe it would be good to just kind of like, kind of like exhale. And then just kind of ready yourself. There's a song about that too, ready yourselves. I hope you're ready to hear what it is that God has to say to you very specifically this morning about what he wants you to learn and what he wants you to learn about real spiritual change. So the, 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 the passage starts with a question of Jesus, right? And we could equate this to being asked simply because the disciples had seen and knew that um, John's disciples were teaching um, his disciples how to pray. And so they asked the question of Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus, right there in, in verse 1. But I want to submit to you that maybe they understood that and that they were seeking to learn and they knew that John taught his disciples, but that's really not what prompted it. You see that in verse 1? What was going on when they asked that question? They had been watching Jesus pray. I submit to you they had seen him pray many, many times. They had watched him, they had looked, they had listened, they had heard. And, and finally, they, they get to the point where they say, you know what, we, we are watching, we are seeing who it is that Jesus is being and how he's praying, and, and we need to learn how to pray like that. There's a lesson in there, a truth in there. There's all kinds of bonus truths in here. That's one of them. Think about the power of witness. 
of example, parents, grandchildren, uh, grandparents, think, think about that. The power of witness. And so it's at work here. They're, they're watching. And what are they seeing? Think about that for a minute. When Jesus is praying, how do you think he prayed? What do you think they saw? What do you think they heard? Well, we can guess. We, we can be filled with understanding about that if we know who Jesus was when we read about him in the Gospels. One of the things that we know about Jesus is he knew his heavenly father, right? Knew him, knew him more intimately than anyone else who had ever lived. And think about what that meant then as he prayed. He knew who he was praying to, the Lord God Almighty. That was his heavenly father. And because of that, it, it, it impacted how he prayed. The tone, the force, the boldness, the words, everything. So I, I just imagine them watching Jesus pray. And often he'd go in a distance, but they could probably still hear him. Just praying with that forcefulness and that power. And asking him for anything and everything. Because he knew his heavenly father. And have you ever been in a situation where you've watched somebody pray or you've seen somebody do something as a follower of Jesus and you thought, man, I wish that could be me or I wish that I could, you know, bring up my spiritual game to that point. Well, that's what's going on here. They're seeing Jesus pray the example and they say, Jesus, will you teach us to pray, please? They had that hunger and that desire to go to a different place, to experience real change in their hearts and in their lives when it came to prayer. And so they ask him, and he doesn't disappoint. He gives them teaching about prayer. He teaches them what to pray. He teaches them how to pray and gives the reasons why. All in this passage, first the what. And it comes in verses 2 to 4. When you pray, say, and then we have the words there in verses 2 to 4. They really constitute what many of us know as the Lord's Prayer. There's an additional teaching in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, that adds to that. And then there are a couple other words that we've thrown in there. And if you were looking at that, maybe that's what you thought when you read those words. Well, that's not the Lord's Prayer as I know it, well, it's, it's most of it, and it's got the key components, and that's what Jesus is teaching them. When he says the words, he's teaching them what to pray. What's the first thing? Look at it. Father, hallowed be your name. What is he speaking about there? And your kingdom come. What to pray? To pray with reverence. I, I think about that sometimes when I hear prayers and when I catch myself, I, I think, do I really, am I really grasping in the moment who I'm praying to? God! And so he's saying, understand, understand, hallowed be your name. Know that you're sp praying to the heavenly Father, to the God who created all things. 
have reverence, have, have adoration, have praise. Come with humility and with gratitude when you pray. Your kingdom come. Understand his, his will is going to happen because he's God. So come with that reverence. Come with that humility. Verse 3, give us this day our daily bread. Come with your needs. Again, because he's God. <laughs> Bring them to him. Lay them at his feet. More on that in a moment in verses 9 and 10. Again, if we understand and we know who God is, it dictates how we pray and what we pray, right? Because there's one of the what's needs to be your petitions and your needs because you understand that, that God is the provider of all things. It's not determined upon your goodness and on your capability that you'd be blessed with anything. Ask him for, for each and everything that you, that you need and for each and everything that you're looking for. And then the third part is found in verse 4. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not in temptation. That's about a right relationship. It's about knowing that we all fall short of God's glory. I would submit to you each and every day. And we're in need of grace. We're in need of forgiveness. And I hope and trust then that we all want to be in a right relationship with the Lord God. And so we ask Him keep us right. We're humbled by your grace and your forgiveness. We need it. We need your presence and we need your leading in our lives to be right with you. Those are the what's. Adoration, reverence, the asking of needs, seeking forgiveness and repentance. So maybe some of you have um, played basketball. Anybody ever played basketball? Yeah, I watched Michigan do it yesterday, not so good. But um, when they're learning how to play basketball, they learn about some of the what's, right? They learn how to pass, and that that's part of the game. They learn how to shoot. That's part of the game. Those are the what's, rebounding. Those are elements and pieces and parts, but then they have to learn how to play. That's what Jesus does here when he teaches his disciples and you and I, how to pray. He covers the what's, and then he gets into the how-to. See that in verse 5? Then he said to them, I told you what to make a part of your prayers, and now I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he starts out with a story. A story that um, you heard and that maybe you're familiar with. A story of a, a friend who goes to his neighbor, another friend, at midnight, nice neighbor, knocks. Hey, I'm here. 
I, I know it's midnight, but look, I had a friend come. I wasn't expecting him, those unexpected guests. And I don't have any bread, so could you please spare some? I need three loaves. What does a friend inside say? Beat it. <laughs> no, not quite. Like He says, you know what? I'm in bed already. My kids are sleeping. Really, will you just come back later? But yet what happens? Hey, I really need the bread. Can you open up the door? Maybe here's some more grumbling then. Hey, I really need the bread. Maybe a loud sigh. Hey, I really need the bread. And finally, finally, wouldn't this be true? And sometimes we have this. You, you think of, again, um, kids. I know that you, you, at the start, Josh, is something about, you know. <laughs> yeah. Kids, you are great and wonderful. I'm not characterizing you there. But, you know, the persistence of the kids and the children, you know, and always asking and that kind of thing. And then finally, what happens? Mom and dad or grandpa, grandmas wear out and say, okay, fine. <laughs> That's the story, but do you see the how-to? Do you see what Jesus is teaching about prayer? If you look at the tail end of that in verse 8, he says his friend, and so because he is, not because he's his friend, but I want you to think about that relationally, right? Maybe it would be fair or good to assume that if the, if the friend didn't know this fellow, he would not have went to that house. There's probably some, some things going on in there that he recognizes the relationship, and he's hoping because he's his friend that he will give him the bread. There's something there about a relationship with God that God wants us to recognize, that hopefully because we know who God is, we will go to him and ask. The relational component is big in this story. And is it not true that the better that we have a relationship with people, friends, and with family members, the more that we are, are bold and ask? You know, we expect more because of the relationship. So you see what it is that God is saying just simply about that. But then what does he say? Not because he's a friend, yet because of the man's boldness. And the Greek word there is a mix. It's a mix of, of boldness in terms of just, just being out there and, and, and asking with expectancy and with faith, but also with persistence. And you see that in what the man does. I don't know how many times he actually knocked before the guy got up, but he didn't quit. I want you to think about those two things in terms of prayer life, your prayers, and ask yourself, how does that play out? How bold am I when I go before the great Lord my God, the creator of all things, what do I expect to happen? Where's my faith quotient in those moments? What do I expect? Anything? Well, Lord God, I'm coming, and you know, might, I'm just thinking, but maybe not. And I, or is it, Lord God, I know who you are, so I come and I ask with fullness and with complete boldness that you are the God that you say that you are, the God of the impossible. See the difference? And then persistence. I want to ask you this. What, you've had something big in your life. I know that you've had that you've prayed about. How long did you pray for it? 
one of the things that's so true about, and I, I think about that, your, your kingdom come and speaking of will and stuff, that God's timing is way different than ours. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows when just the right time is going to be there. And so persistence, he wants us to keep praying, to not give up. Because at just the right time and just the right way, he, he'll bless us in a profound and a wonderful way. Do you believe that? Persistence. He's saying, don't stop. Now, I'll never forget when I was just a little boy, my neighbor, who, who I am eternally grateful for, was an incredible witness in my life and mentor. He's the dad I never had. And he told me that he said, you know, my mom, he said, he grew up in a, in a conservative Baptist family. And he said, I went over here. He said, my mom, bless her heart, never stopped praying for me. And every time I saw her, she would say, Clark, I'm praying for you. He said, the only regret I have is that my mom didn't live to see me except Jesus Christ. But she never quit praying. That's a great story. It's a story God wants to be yours. To pray with boldness, to pray with persistence. That's part of the how-to. And it also is unveiled there in verses 9 and 10. This is another huge promise. God's word is filled with huge promises. Just think about this series. Think about Malachi 3. Think about Philippians 4. And now here we go again, Luke 11, 9, 9 and 10. I'll read the words again. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus shares this with his disciples later in life. In fact, hours before he's going to die. Have you ever read John 14 to 16? Um, I encourage you to open up your Bibles after you leave and read it. Seven times. Seven times just before he's ready to die. He says, he says those words. He repeats them. Just one time that, that I would read for you, John uh, 15, 16. I will give you whatever you ask in my name. And you go throughout that passage, those three chapters, and he says it seven times. Do you think he wants you to get something, to understand something? That if you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you'll find Who, who is our God? I think of the, the, the words of, of Matthew 19, 26. With God, all things are possible. He's the God of the impossible. And he wants us to understand that. That's the how part of the praying. That when we go and we pray, we know who it is that we're praying to. And that dictates how we ask, how we seek. Where we go and knock is a profound, profound promise. 
Do you think that if you blew up your life with that kind of expectancy, with that kind of faith, every time you prayed it would change you? Absolutely. Each and every one of us. This is incredible truth, an incredible promise. Something important to note in there. It says, in my name, for his glory and honor. He's not saying that, you know, if you pray for a $5 billion yacht, you're going to get it. People who will twist the scripture to turn it into asking for physical blessings. Doesn't mean that God might not reward you for that. I think of Solomon, right? Solomon went and prayed. He asked for wisdom. It was all about a right relationship with God. And God says, what? Because you didn't ask for money or power, guess what? I'm going to bless you with those too. Doesn't mean that he won't. But this is all about presence and rightness. Real spiritual change, the things that we need the most in our life, that impact our life the most and others around us. A lost and hurting world. His presence, real spiritual change, the things that matter. That's what he's speaking about. When you ask for those things, look out because I'm going to give them to you. What a rich and profound blessing this is. What a huge, huge promise. And he continues it in verses 11 to 13. These reveal that God is is better than good, and he wants to give you the best. Do you see that? Which which of you fathers or you mothers, if you have a, a son who asked you for a fish, think about that today at lunchtime. I don't know what your children are going to ask you for, your grandchildren or, or your spouse, whomever. And so if, let's just say it was fish, right? And say, I would like to have a, a nice piece of perch today. And you come out with a snake. Now, I know they eat snake in some parts of the world. It's just not normal table fare for us in North America. And I imagine if you came out within your cube, would go, ew. What about, what about the rest? An egg, we'll give them a, a scorpion. You ever thought about putting that on a plate for your child? No, why? Because hopefully I trust and believe you're a good parent. Now, you're a good parent, but you, just like me and everybody else here, has sin in their lives. That's what he means by evil. He's not saying you're all depraved, wicked, evil lost for no good that's a recognition of what is and what is true in contrast to who it is that he is a perfect loving grace filled heavenly father who will give you everything good good gifts and what's more you look at the last part of the verse verse 13 do you see it he wants to give you the best what is it Look at the words. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is he saying? I want to give you the best. I give you myself. We sing songs about that here in our worship. Nothing is better than you. 
And I wonder sometimes as we pray and we think about things and how it is that we pray, that sometimes we get in the way of wanting the best because we're looking below that to ourselves. God says, I want to give you the best. I want to give you myself. I want to fill you up. I want to be with you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to show you who it is that you are to discover your great worth to me. I want to show you your gifts. I want to show you the opportunities. I want to show you who it is that I am, that I will help you, and I will give you everything that you stand in need of and more. If you just desire to walk with me, real spiritual change, to be, to be the follower that I, that I created, redeemed, gifted, and called you to be, that's it. You don't need to worry about anything else. Not just only in this life, but for all of eternity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the God of the impossible? Do you believe it? See, Will's turning. Profound and awesome truth. So there's the what and there's the how. Now here's the question, why? What was it found in the words too? Especially when you go back to verses 9 and 10. It's really pretty simple. The why is that it will create a bold, faith-filled, God and vision for real spiritual change in your life. He wants to challenge you with that. that. That's where he's teaching his disciples. He had incredible things planned for them. He had called and set them apart to change the world, just like he has you and me. He says, that's why I want you to be bold. That's why I want you to be expectant. That's why I want you to be filled with faith. That's why I want you to persevere. Because this world needs it. Would anybody disagree that the world needs Jesus? Needs his grace, needs his love, needs his forgiveness, needs his presence. Needs the hope that he brings. Needs the joy that he brings. Needs the peace that he brings. I don't think anybody would. And that's what he's saying. I want to create that in you. That's who I want you to be. I want you to desire and hunger and thirst for that real spiritual change. And it comes from knowing him. Knowing him. And you know him because you have him in your hearts. That's why he says, I'm going to give you the best, me, inside, to dwell, to live forever, to empower you, to lead you. That's the truth. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) I'm trusting that you're thrilled. You're just really subdued about it. This is so powerful. And he wants you to think about your life. He wants you to think about your tomorrow and your next week and your month ahead and your years. And he wants you to, to think about what that would look like in terms of what would it, what would it mean if, if, I, if I prayed like this and I lived like that and I had the fullness of God in my heart and life each and every single minute of each and every day. Blows our minds. And that's the challenge. You know, not too terribly long ago, I was having a conversation with someone who just needed some encouragement. And they came and they talked to me. And they explained to me the situation that they were in and how difficult it was. And how they had so very little hope. 
And I asked him this question. I said, so tell me, what would be the very best thing that could happen? And they thought about it for a minute, and then they shared. And then they said this, but it would take a miracle. And then they looked at me, and they said, do you believe in miracles? You probably know my answer. I said, absolutely. Then I asked him this question. Do you? See, it didn't matter what I thought in the moment. But it did matter what it is that they thought about who their God was and who he could be in their lives. I want to read for you... um, just a a, a paragraph out of this book. It's called uh, Liquid Church. Three years ago, I went to a conference, a professional development conference in Colorado Springs. And it was a conference that brought um, keynote speakers from the 100 fastest growing churches in America. And so they're just there to share principles and and things about their churches that, um, that helped them along the way. And uh, this guy that wrote the book, Tim Lucas, was there, and he, he shared um, this. And I, and I want to share this book, too, but he shared this. But uh, by the way, Liquid Church is from uh, Revelations 22. And maybe you're familiar with what happens there right at the very start, verses 1 and 2, looking at the throne that, of, of heaven the throne that God is and Jesus is sitting on, and, and there's a river flowing out from it, and it gives life to everything. And so that's where they get their name, Liquid Church, from. And this is, this is what he says about Goal. About Goal. He says, the vision, the vision of Liquid Church today is to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's their goal. That's their vision. Saturate means to thoroughly soak or utterly immerse something in liquid. By God's grace, we hope to have at least one liquid campus in every New Jersey county one day so that 9 million people in our densely populated state would get the chance to taste the living water of Jesus for themselves. That was their goal. That was their vision. He makes some jokes earlier in the book about, of all places, Jersey. (laughs) One of the most non-Christian places in the United States. At the time that this book was written, they had six churches in six different counties. And tens of thousands of people were coming to know Jesus Christ through their ministry. But they had a goal, they had a vision, they had a dream based on who God was. Let me tighten the focus up a little bit for you. There was an announcement this morning about Love Your Neighbor Food Drive, right? Did you all hear it? And Yeah. And we have a food distribution here every Thursday. Tremendous story. As, as I was preparing, I was thinking about that. And see, um, I remember at the start of the pandemic being up here and um, calling people just to come after the service because there had been some, some needs that had been raised and some wonderings just to come and to pray and to talk about what possibly could be done 
um, because this pandemic was upon us and schools were being shut. And so that was the first thing that came out of it. Uh, our food distribution started because of the desire to kids would come to school and kids that had some real, um, not real pleasant places in, in their life at the particular time. And so that the food was a critical concern that they would have the right nourishment and nutrition um, from uh, week to week. And so that's how our food uh, distribution got started. And what God did from there is amazing. I want you to think about this. Listen to these, to these numbers. Uh, we received a challenge, and it just grew from there. So each week since that food distribution has been um, in existence, uh, on the average, and I'm going to give you conservative numbers, on the average, over 100 people a week have had food needs met. That's 13,000 times. 13,000 times. 13,000 cars of people come up here and walked away with at least a week's worth of food. 13,000 times. That translate into over 168,595 pounds of food, or if you can picture it this way, approximately 84 tons of food have been distributed right over there. The real value of all of that, over $400,000. That doesn't count donations. That's just the Feeding America. It was out of a, a, a real, you can ask Holly, I suppose, for the report, a 20, uh, 2022 report. And that's what those numbers are based on. I didn't just make them up. All to say, is not God incredible? And isn't it amazing what can happen when even a few have faith and persistence and believe and have an expectant and, and hope in God? It, th those are profound things. What an incredible, incredible reality for us as a body of Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, I think of all of the people who, re who received that, and, and I'm sure some that just maybe didn't have these thoughts, but I guarantee you, and we've heard the stories, people who are, who are experiencing God's love each and every week, recognizing that there is a God who cares for them and who loves them and who will help them in very real and tangible ways from week to week. We don't know where that's going to go or where it has gone in terms of changing hearts and changing lives, but it's happened. And it's happened in a profound and in a beautiful and wonderful way. So God gives us a challenge. How are we going to pray? What are the things that we expect? What are the goals of the vision that we have personally as it relates to us in terms of our spirituality? Who, who are we going to be for him as followers of Jesus and together as a body of Jesus Christ? We'll find out. No mistake that the song we're going to sing in just a moment. It's called Trust and Obey. Yeah. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for your word and your truth. You are 
incredible. And Lord, we admit to our own shame and discredit that even, O oh God, in the midst of talking to you, of praying, we don't really recognize or give credit to who it is that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, we've seen you do incredible things even in our midst. We have been so incredibly blessed, deeply, richly. So many different parts of what it is that you've called this body of Christ to be and to do. And Lord, your hand is all over it. You are the one. And we give you glory and we give you honor this morning for every bit of it. Lord, we ask that you give us the best, your spirit inside, not a little, but a lot, fullness completely, that we would pick up our feet and we would follow you and we would be who it is that you created, redeemed, gifted, and called us to be for your honor and glory. In your precious, in your awesome name we pray it. Amen.